contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. It's presented by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use promo code PODCAST1 to receive the 50% sign-up bonus today. That's BetOnline.ag. I'll start you off with a rant and a second rant. First one is about Reuben Foster, the much-troubled former number one pick of the San Francisco 49ers. They they, they tolerate a lot with him, a lot of incidents, and there was one that they couldn't tolerate. It's the last straw Saturday night at the hotel. Tampa Bay has a domestic altercation with someone he's had that before with, his girlfriend in the hotel, and he's flushed out of the 49ers despite the prescience currency expended of a number one pick. He is released. It's amazing that he got the chances he did. Of course, it's because he's number one to kick, because he's a talented guy. And lo and behold, he's claimed. The Washington Redskins claim him on waivers. Now, the Redskins are quick to point out he's not going to play. He's actually been placed on the commissioner exemplist. He can't play. Got to go through counseling. Got to get cleared. Got to figure out. Got to prove to the Redskins he could, he's cured and all those kind of things. The point is the Redskins took a chance because of his, car- his talent they are seeing that talent character equation and could not resist. Talent is like a drug. Listen, every team has a talent character equation. Some teams allow for a more loose character than others. And based on the Redskins acquiring this player, they are one of those teams. Now, I know they're going to say, yeah, we're going to follow the league and he can't play for us till he's off the exempt list and he passes all these clearances and he might be suspended and all that. But the fact is they claimed him. So their statement by Doug Williams, the VP of Player Personnel, to me is translated to, yeah, we're not going to play him now. We can, and he's got to be a good boy. But when he can, we got him. We got him. And that, again, is the drug of talent that sometimes it's hard to pass by without even knowing the side effects. Greater talent equals greater tolerance. That's true in sports and business and seems especially true with high round draft picks because they have that pedigree, and they're going to get that second chance, third chance. If Reuben Foster was a down-the-line player, there's no way he'd be in the NFL right now. But he still is, albeit on the commissioner exemplist, will play at some point, I think, for the Washington Redskins, and they'll be happy he is because of his talent, not his character. Other quick rant about Major League Baseball. They become the third of the major four sports leagues to ink a deal with MGM Resorts in this new world of sports betting. And oh, what a new world it is. Major League Baseball? Are you kidding me? They, the first commissioner that came into Major League Baseball, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, came in because of a scandal involving gambling. The Black Sox throwing the World Series. The White Sox threw it. Shoeless Joe Jackson, 1919. They named a new commissioner. They had to get her control of the game, establish some integrity, hired someone with impeccable credentials, and that's their commissioner. Then we fast forward to 1989. Pete Rose, the hit king, one of the greatest players in the history of the game, banned from baseball by Bart Giamatti, the commissioner at that time, because he bet on baseball. He has now applied for reinstatement to not one, not two, not three, now four commissioners still not let in. But baseball which fought gambling in court in New Jersey for six years, has now inked a deal with MGM. And Commissioner Manfred is even talking about, yeah, we got so many stoppages in play, so much time between pitches. It's a great in-game betting opportunity. What? Here's what we are now involved in with betting. It is a new world. It's not your father's 
sports leagues anymore. Betting is legal. Betting is not taboo. And commissioners are embracing it. And the interesting note is of the four major sports leagues, the one that has not inked a deal with a casino is the NFL, which still maintains players can't be in casinos, which still has had this uh, integrity factor about casinos, even while placing a team in the mecca of casinos in the country, Las Vegas. Again, that mixed message is, some would say, not just a mixed message, it's obviously hip- hypocritical. But that's where we are with the uh, with MGM. That's my rant. It's really something that Reuben Foster continues to get chances, and MGM signs up baseball after signing up the National Hockey League and first the National Basketball Association. MGM is becoming a staple of pro sports leagues, which you could never say years ago. Oh, my God. What a difference a few years makes. What a new world it is for sports and gambling. Before I get to the interview, which is really a speech I gave, let's talk about Simply Safe. I think it's a great holiday gift. It's a home security system. All the tech deals come out during the holidays, but this is the best one you can make. SimplySafe.com slash Brandt. You get an amazing holiday offer. They rarely do anything like this, but doing it just for this podcast. Simply Safe is a great protection for home and family. You don't sign a contract, no hidden fees. All these CNET, PC Mag, Wirecutter all say Simply Safe is the most safe and best security system there is. So if you're looking for a security system, you want a great deal, go to simplysafe.com slash brand. You get the offer. Make sure to use that URL. It really helps out the show and helps you out with a discount. Simplysafe.com slash brand. The offer ends soon. Simply Safe, the best in home security. The University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School, had their sports business summit. I was a keynote speaker. I'm going to let you in on my speech talking about what it's like to be inside an NFL front office, my time at the Packers, my history with them, and of course, the drafting of Aaron Rodgers when we had the most durable quarterback in the history of football named Brett Favre. A lot to take you inside of. I'm going to share this with you now. It is my keynote speech from the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, their business summit last week. You know, we faced a time with the Green Bay Packers that is going to be etched in time forever transitioning from one face of a franchise to another, being there for that entire duration of the change from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers was something I'll never forget. It's just a learning experience that meant so much to me about how we handled what was really, really a a tense situation. Not at the end only, but for three years. For three years. Three years I had to manage a superstar quarterback who saw his replacement in his room every day. And I had to manage a young quarterback who never thought he'd get to play. And this was my responsibility because I was dealing with agents, parents, players themselves, wives, girlfriends. And no one really knows what happens in those situations. So I'm going to take you inside that, uh, and what what is really going on with an organization making a transitional change in an evolving moment that's going to happen to Tom Brady, it's going to happen to Drew Brees, it's going to happen to these generational players, because time marches on. There's no career in sports that hasn't been defined by mortality. Uh, and... That's kind of where I start because I was a I was a very failed professional athlete. I went to Stanford 
And I got to play on the tennis team. Now, when I say that, I'm being gregacious because we had an A team that played against USC, UCLA, Cal, or, you know. We had a B team, Arizona, Oregon. C team played Oregon State. I was like on the G team. <laughs> and I played against uh, Nevada, Reno. Played against Humboldt. Uh, but Stanford had so many great tennis players. It was just like, okay, we made it. We, you know, we played. Again, we played against Reno, but we played. And so me and the guys at the end of the bench said, let's do this. Like, what's this? Well, we're going to go play pro. But playing pro the way I play pro is nothing like you ever see on TV. I went to tournaments in Colleen, Texas, and Lake Charles, Louisiana, Davenport, Iowa, and maybe three people, four people in the stands, girlfriends, friends, call your own lines, try to get points. Tournament would start on a Monday. I'd lose by Tuesday, usually. <laughs> Off to the next site. Unless I played doubles, but I wasn't a good doubles player. Short, small, I was running down balls as a singles player. I got as high as maybe 2,800 in the world. Somebody's got to be 2,800. So about six months of this, I got off. I got off the train. I went, what do you do when you don't know what to do? I went to law school. And I did have a hedge, I'll admit that. We're in business school, I hedge. I uh, went home to Georgetown Law, I'm from Washington, D.C., and I had gotten in deferred admission. So maybe in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, this tennis thing doesn't work out. I always got law school. And that's maybe why I only got to 2,800. I don't know. But the poignant moment for me came like seven years later. I was an agent. I was recruiting a football player at University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. I pick up the school paper. It says, tonight at the center, uh, satellite tours in town. I'm like, I played on that tour. Awesome. I go out there. And here's the thing I'll never forget. I look out on that, on that court. Same guys. Same guys. So the guys that I was scrapping around with at age 22, 23, are now 29, 30. And instead of 2,000 in the world, these guys are now 400, 500, maybe 200. And instead of making 12 grand a year, they're making 50 or 60 grand a year. But they're still doing it. So we went out for beers. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they look at me like, what are you doing? Why'd you leave? Why'd you get a real job? Why'd you go to law school? And I said, well, you know, I just, I wasn't any good. Yeah, but they're like, yeah, but get better. And it, it just occurred to me, this helped so much in dealing with Barb, who was, you know, was never going to leave, rightfully so. If you're an elite athlete, once you step off, you're in the wind. <laughs> There's too many in every sport that are going to pass you by. So these guys weren't getting off the train until they had to. I'm like, what are you going to do? I'm going to play to 33, then we'll get you know, a country club job maybe, we'll do touring pro a little bit, so we'll get a job in the Bahamas in the winter. And, you know, I'm like, okay. Because it's such a draw. Sports is such an emotional attachment. I speak to so many people and they come up and go, yeah, you know, if this coach, you know, if this coach didn't bias against me, I'd be in the pros. You know, okay. All right. It's okay. I get it. Sports is raw. It's emotional. You know, it's going to draw you in ways that other things don't. I get it. My negotiations, both on the agent side and the team side, are like, 
you get the player involved, you're going to get some serious emotion. You know, at the Packers, when I, I'm an agent, I come into the Packers, they say, hey, you know, you're a nice guy, you're an agent, I'm going to negotiate with you directly. I don't need an agent. Andrew, I'm going to sit with you and do this. I walk out of the room like, this will be cool. <laughs> you know, I'm obviously more, more skilled. I'm going to get a nice deal for the Packers, and I'm going to have a nice time with the player. And I, I learned those were the worst experiences I had as a negotiator. The worst. Because of what I just said. They, that is raw. That's raw. I mean, you're telling a 25-year-old that he's not as good as he thinks, that he's not as good as the guy that Detroit or Denver or Dallas or Miami just paid, that why do they think higher of their player than you think of me? What's your deal? And some of these guys are you know, three times my size saying this in my face. Not a good experience, especially in Green Bay, which was so fishbowl and so small. And I see these guys and their wives and their girlfriends and everywhere. I mean, small. You know, we had one movie theater, half the team's there on Friday nights. You know, it's like you have to deal with it. So I'll never do that again. I learned. You come to me, you want to negotiate with me? No. Mm -mm. I want an agent. Agents are great because they're buffers. Agents are buffers between the team and the player. You need that. Because negotiations are raw. You know, when I negotiate with ESPN, I learned. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm a skilled negotiator. It's what I've done for 20 years. But no, I'm not doing it. No. Mm-mm. I don't want to hear how, how, how I stink. I don't want to hear how I'm not as good as these other people make more. I don't want to hear it. Tell my agent. That was going on. Uh, so I was an agent. What happened when I went to law school was a great experience for me because there was a big firm in Washington, D.C. called ProServe, no longer, that represented at that time a lot of tennis players. I'm a tennis player. They knew me from playing D.C. junior tournaments. I knew them. They took a chance on an unpaid intern at Georgetown Law to come in and help out on the tennis side. I did a good job. I get to my third year. I do interview with real law firms. I call them real law firms, not sports firms. I get a couple offers. i got to make a decision. Do I go into real law or do I work with pro-serve in sports? And all my friends are like, oh, yeah, you want to hang out with stuffy lawyers or want to hang out with cool athletes? Easy choice. But even as a young guy, I realized, yeah, maybe not, you know, I realized that if I turn away from law to go into sports, which is not sophisticated legal work, I'm sort of turning my back on being a lawyer. I really am. And I was okay with that. But that's a decision you got to make. So I went into the sports path, started as a tennis representative, started representing tennis players, and when you do that, you're recruiting 13, 14-year-olds at the Orange Bowl in Miami. And what that means is you're recruiting parents. And tennis parents are no peach. <laughs> uh, so I did that for a while. But then again, opportunity. I saw down the hall a guy named David Falk. David represented great basketball players and had just a few years ago signed a kid named Michael Jordan and was coming up with Nike with this idea of Air Jordan, by the way projections for year one of for Air Jordan were like 
$65 million. It sold $850 million, year one. I'm like, can I go work for him? <laughs> because he needs help. And I'm, I didn't tell them this, but I'm burned out on tennis. I'm done playing. I was done watching. I was done dealing with these kids and their strings and their gut and their shoelaces. They said, okay. So I moved down the hall. Same firm, and I'm working for David. And here's the opportunity I saw. you got to look for that path. I said, so David is all invested in NBA. All, and he should be. Super agent. Patrick Ewing, and, and all the guys that I got to work with that were from Baltimore. Uh, Reggie Williams, Reggie Lewis, uh, David Wingate, and my favorite, the guy this high named Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy's about 5'3 in heels. And I'm like, this is cool. But the opportunity was football because David had no time. We had a few football players. It was a languishing practice. I'm like, let's develop that. So I developed over my six years there from five to 10 to 15 to 20 NFL players. Cool. I'm the football guy now. Did I love football? Sure. I grew up washing Redskins every week, but I, you know, it was just the opportunity. So I go to football and then I'm doing a contract with Mike Lynn, head of the Minnesota Vikings. He looks at me after the deal. He sort of looks me up and down. He says to me, do you speak Barcelona? I'm like, what's that, Spanish? He said, yeah. Turned out it wasn't Spanish. I'm thinking, yeah, I took it in high school. Sure, yeah. I'd like to be first general manager of the Barcelona Dragons. What's that? Starting a new league, NFL Europe. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you know, we're going to introduce football around the globe. I'm like, okay. I'm young, I'm single, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I moved for the first time in my career, there have been a couple of these, from labor players to management. I had three months before opening day, I had no stadium, no staff, no, no coaches, no players. What do I do? They said, go hire a coach. Who do I hire? Uh, we got these assistants in the NFL, would be great, like this guy Pete Carroll, he'd be good. <laughs> this guy Tony Dungy, talk to him. <laughs> so I talked to them, both of them. They're like, Andrew, so cool. But no friggin' way. I'm not going to Spain. I got a career, I'm not going to Spain. I'm like, I get it. Boston College just fired their coach. <clears throat> All the great years with Flutie and everything then. They fire Jack McNeil, I go to Boston, I meet him, I like him, I think he's great. I'm like, you're hired. He says, great. He says, I got assistants. I'm like, great, you want to meet him? No, they're hired. <laughs> I got trainers, staff, video equipment. I'm like, hired. You want to meet him? No. <laughs> I got no time for that. You like them? Yeah, they're good. Now we go to Florida, we poke and prod and drug test and Wonderlick, a thousand players. I don't know who to pick. I asked my NFL people, who do I pick? I said, pick these guys. I pick 80. We have five days of training camp in Winter Park, Florida. Five days. I got to tell 40 of the 80 they can't come to Spain, some of whom were Spanish. I had a bodyguard. We get on a plane, instant football team in a week. You know, these NFL teams complain about it. We don't have enough time. Screw you. We had a week. We developed a team, coaches, everything. We go to Spain, our marketing guy meets the plane, says, Andrew, we have sold, we had 10 days till opening day. He said, we have sold 173 tickets. <laughs> I'm like, how many is it hold? 40,000. That's not good. 
Oh, in Spain, they walk up. What do you mean they walk up? That's a hell of a lot of walking. <laughs> so we're in crisis mode. First of all, we get to the hotel, and then we got, we got to put night tables with pillows at the end of each bed. You know, we could never get enough food. I'm like, come on, more food. I ordered food for 60. It was always gone after 20. I never ate. I said, more food. They're like, they're so big. Yes. <laughs> They've never seen people that big. They've never seen people eat like that. I said, yes, more food. They never got enough. But the key meeting I got, in my career, I've never gotten a bigger meeting than this. I get a meeting with the general manager of FC Barcelona, one of the great brands of all the world. And the night before our game, they're playing in front of 100,000 people. We just want 10,000. I said, I said, what do you guys do at halftime? What do you mean? What do you do at halftime? What do you mean? What do you do at halftime? What do you mean? So what do you do when you go in and come out? And he actually said this to me. He goes, we smoke cigarettes. <laughs> I said, no, no. What do you do on the field? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Can we go out there, run, kick the ball, say, not tomorrow night, Mojli Stadium, Barcelona Dragons versus Frankfurt Galaxy? He said, we still smoke. Yes. <laughs> so he let us do it. They said that. The next morning, it's a monsoon. We got this owner over there, the Spanish guy. He says, Andrew, we don't play today. I said, no, 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 we play. Too rainy. No, no. I have to get Paul Tagliabue on the phone, commissioner of football, to say, we're playing. We're playing. So I get to the game, and then I'm like, oh my God, who's going to show up? 18,000 people walked in that door. Thank God for the announcement. Thank God I handed out about 6,000 tickets. But we had 18,000, and they're young, and they're there to have fun. So then I'm worried about the product. We first half's pretty squirrely. <coughs> Looked like junior high school out there. Second half, we get the ball. We hit the tight end on the seam pattern. Breaks three tackles, touchdown, 70 yards. I'm jumping up and down. The crowd is like polite golf applause. <laughs> And our kicker comes and kicks that extra point, and they go nuts. <laughs> and I'll never forget that moment. I'm like, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> oh my God. And then I realized they cheered at all the wrong times. They did the wave the entire game, they did the Olay song the entire game. They had no clue. Couple games, and we sort of let, let's just see how it plays out. Couple games, oh my God, they have no clue. And I said, at the third game, I said, all right, we're having a meeting. I said, that's it. We are not marketing football. Forget it. Forget touchdowns and running backs and forget quarterbacks. I don't know what that is. We are going to sell three hours in America. That's it. They don't care. They don't care about football. So I had a fan committee. The fan committee is like, Andrew, no more meetings. What do you mean? No more meetings. What are meetings? You run a play, then you meet. You run a play, then you meet. <laughs> we don't like meet. I said, they're called huddles. I go to my coach. I said, well, screw them. We run huddles. We're not no huddle. So we're going to have meetings. But I told her, Steph, we're done. Let's sell three hours in America. I brought over marching bands. I hired two Miami Dolphin cheerleaders to teach the women there how to dance like that. Las Chicas del Dragons. <laughs> I hired uh, the best entertainment for, for the money I've ever seen called uh, Frisbee Dogs. They were before, during, after the games, wherever we went, the Frisbee Dogs. They love. 
$5,000 for the whole year. They crapped all over the hotel. Uh, so we did it. We made it work. So many stories, but I'll leave it at that. Barcelona Draft lasted two years. Uh, NFL Europe folded, came back as NFL Europe 2 without Barcelona. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, and I came back, and I got back into the agent business. Uh, this with a group called Wolf Associates. Bob Wolf, pioneering the agent business. Dr. J, Magic, Larry Bird, all these guys. Unfortunately, passed away, left the firm to his wife. She didn't want to run a sports firm, sold her group in Boston, brought in people like me to run the firm. I ran the football basketball side. A guy named Bobby Orr ran the hockey side. That was cool. Uh, so I was working with a lot of different football, basketball players for a few years in the late 90s. The guy I was working with most was a running back at the University of Texas, who I had a great contact to. It's a long story, but his name is was Ricky Williams. Ricky was a baseball player, pro in the summers, but obviously was starting to become a pretty good football player. And then, of course, he became the Heisman Trophy, the best thing in college football, the most hottest thing in sports at the time. First guy with dreadlocks. I had him. I had him. The watershed client in my career. I had Rick. But I called him Rick. Strange kid, great kid. Great player. About three months into working with him, I see these guys start hanging around with him. Like, Rick, who are these guys? Finally told me they work for someone named Master P. Who? Who's Master P? Rapper, what's going on? He's starting a big sports agency out. He wants me to be his guy. I said, what do you think? He said, well, I want to go with him, but I want you to go with him. Me. I said, me and Pete? <laughs> yeah, you and Pete. I said, I don't think that's my Democrat. I don't think that's me. He said, just meet him. So I meet Pete, Master Pete, his name is Percy Miller. And he's, you know, it's like an episode. Wow. A lot going on. And I'm like, okay, he's going to give me a lot of money to negotiate all these deals for football, basketball, women's sports. He's going to take over the world. And I said, Ricky, this is kind of a risk. But I called my wife and I said, I think I'll be working for this guy, Master P. <laughs> you know, because I go back to my agency and they're like, you don't have Ricky? Well, you don't have a job. You know, I'm not sure that's going to happen. So, exact same time it's happening. Exact same time, this is sort of this life story where one door closes, one door opens. I get a call from the Green Bay Packers. Now, I had a client there who just retired last year, 18-year career, third-string quarterback at the time named Matt Hasselbeck. I'm like, I can't deal with Hasselbeck. I got Ricky Williams, I got Master P. <laughs> yeah, they knew. They're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> but we're not calling about Hasselbeck. Why are you calling Mike Holmgren, our coach, just went to Seattle Seahawks to run the team. I said, sorry to hear that. He said, he took Ron Feld. He took the guy that ran the whole business operation. Took him to the Seahawks. I said, sorry to hear that. And then he said, how would you like to switch sides? I said, me? Green Bay? I said, yeah. And I had a few players on the Packers over the years, and they just said, you have a nice way of dealing with We've enjoyed working with you. We'd like to bring you the other side. <laughs> I said, let me come up there. I divert from Austin, Texas, like 80 degrees to Green Bay, 10 degrees. And I'm very direct. I said to them, please don't take offense, but do I have to actually move here to do this job? I said, no offense taken, but yeah, you got to be here. So I decided to do it. 
Um, I moved to Greenville, Wisconsin. I had to look up Wisconsin on a map to see where I was going. But, you know, what, what my role over 10 years is really became this. I was the guy that was the balance point. I think every organization needs this in and outside of sports. So on the one side of the organization is business. What are we looking like down the road? If we're talking now, what are we looking like in 2025? Where are we going to be cap-wise? Is there going to be a CDA? If not a cap, how do we survive? What's going to happen long-term? How much money are we putting into these positions? What's our plan? On the other side of the organization is the immediacy, the football, the coaches, the GM sometimes. Andrew, we need this player signed this week. Can he be on the practice field today? Can he be in the game Sunday? So you're always, you know, sometimes you're the voice of caution to the business side, sometimes a voice of caution to the football side, sometimes you're the voice of aggression to the uh, business side. Like, I think we need another million dollars. I think we need to make this happen. And as you know, the Packers don't have an owner. I really felt like I'm working for a public trust. If I spent $20 million on a contract versus $40 million, no one's really going to know or be accountable. I had to feel like I'm working for the shareholders of this public trust. I'm going to do the right thing. It was an awesome responsibility, the magnitude of working for the Packers, because you have, you know, who are your owners? The cheeseheads. You know, they tell you every day they're the owner, but they're not really the owner. So I negotiated all the player contracts. I was doing exactly what I was doing on the player side. Now I'm doing it on the management side. I could get past all the BS with the agents because I knew exactly what they were talking about. Um, I dealt with the league on all the league issues. I dealt with all the managing the salary cap. I dealt with all player issues with the team, whether it be grievances about injuries, when they were fined on the field, they come in on a speakerphone. We've had the uh, we had the agreements uh, with the league about appealing their fines, all those kind of things. So many issues come up that people don't know about with players because there's disputes. There's disputes with the league. There's disputes with their agent. There's disputes with other players about issues. Um, and again, all these matters come up time and time again. There's, I think that's a number one pick to sign. Our highest, one year we had a bad year, and <laughs> we had a fifth pick in the draft, and when you're negotiating the fifth pick in the draft, at that time it was an incredibly complicated contract to negotiate. That was our player there, A.J. Hawk. Uh, turned out to be one of my next door neighbor, too. He's very small. He came in for his draft weekend after he picked him. He had already <laughs> bought a car, bought a house, and left to go back to school. Um, some of the negotiations get very heated. Obviously, some of the bigger ones, uh, you know, with Brett, it was always a situation where you want to do the right thing with him. You have a massive cap number on this player. You want to resist temptation to bonus it out, which is convert salary to bonus to prorate your cap for future years. We've seen so many teams get in trouble with this, and I learned from experiences around the league with John Elway, with Troy Aikman, with Steve McNair, with so many teams that were left with $10, $20 million cap holes because they had constantly negotiated their quarterbacks before they retired or left. Even today, you have someone like Tony Romo counting $20 million on the Cowboys' cap while he works for CBS. We wanted to stay away from that kind of thing. 
But with Brett, it was always, he was nowhere to be found after the season. He was in the Mississippi woods, hunting, fishing, whatever he's doing. And one year I really needed to do a contract because he, I had like seven people lined up after him, but I needed to get his done first. He wasn't paying attention. His agent couldn't find him, blah, blah, blah. So I take three planes, transfer, end up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi somehow. I go to where I know he eats lunch every day. He swings the door open. He looks at me. What the shit are you doing here? I had to get the deal done. He said, relax, Andrew. Come play golf. That was the answer to everything. Let's play golf. He's a scratch golfer. You know, I shoot like 150. So that was an experience. That night, I remember, he's like, Andrew, come over to the house. We'll do it. So about 9 o'clock at night, I'm like, you ready? And then his agent gets on and says, well, you know, Shark Week on Discovery. You know. Priorities. So we'll do it tomorrow. Anyway, long story short, the first $100 million contract in the NFL was signed on a seventh hole of a golf cart. Because uh, that's where I had to go to get the deal done. And Brett got it done. You know, the Packers are not known for free agency, but our biggest signing ever was this guy named Charles Woodson. Uh, but by the way, when, he, when we signed him, he got on the field the next day. And you really don't see much of this in the history of sports, where you see a player get on the field with the best of the best and be another level. The moment that guy came on our field, Woodson, he was our best returner, he was our best corner, he was our best defender, he was our best tackler, he was our best athlete. Like that. Never seen, you know, we talk about truly elite athletes, like a John Elway, like a Charles Woodson, that are just beyond everyone else. But Woodson was a free agent, and for some reason no one was chasing him, and we got in, and it was, a, it was the longest month of my negotiating career because for, six, for 35 days, I knew, he knew, the only team really chasing him with any kind of money were the Green Bay Packers. And I knew he didn't want to go to Green Bay. So I just like wake up every morning, okay, I know I'm negotiating against myself. He's just waiting for another team. I'm like, what's the problem? to the agent every day. He goes, Andrew, I have to be honest. He's like, Andrew, any black people up there? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. But I'm Jewish. <laughs> None of us up here either. But we make it work. And I'm selling. I'm like the Chamber of Commerce. I'm like, listen, Charles will get here. It'll be like Michigan. It's a lot less diverse than ours. <laughs> Uh, and the town wraps itself around it. It's all football. It's family-focused. I love it. It'll be incredible here. And I knew. <coughs> we were the only ones asking offering. So it was a long process. Uh, and he finally said yes, and we got him there. And yes, it was an adjustment period for Charles Woodson, who had been in Oakland for all those years. And of course, Oakland has no rules. We had a lot of rules. There was some clashing going on, but he eventually became such a leader, such a good player, defensive player of the year. Uh, great experience having Charles there. Very mature guy, and just because a leader, just by example. So those are some of the stories you have. Um, but I want to get to the Aaron story. When we get to the 2005 draft, here we are, okay? We saw two things happening. So I'm in the war room, 
And on the left of me is management. And on the right of me is coaching. And we look up at that board and two things happen. Number one, nobody's taking Aaron Rodgers. First quarterback, first pick in the draft, Alex Smith. No one's taking a second quarterback, including John Gruden, who told him, if you're there, we're taking you. No. We thought Tennessee would take him. No. Pac-Man Jones. We thought Kansas City, they're definitely going to take him. No. Derek Johnson. We're looking at an opportunity to take this guy. And the other thing happening is all the players we wanted are gone, too. We wanted this guy with uh, DeMarcus Ware. God. <laughs> Diamond. Dallas Cowboys take DeMarcus Ware. We all, like, go under the table. So when we look at that board, first round grades, there's one name. One. Aaron Rodgers. And I got the coaches over here as we're approaching that pick. Yanking me, like pulling the coat. Saying, Andrew, no fucking way. We cannot take someone who will not help us this year. Do not take a quarterback. Listen, just hold on. <laughs> and then I've got these guys like, what do we always say? Trust the board. Trust the board. We are not dipping into the second round grades to take a corner or a defensive lineman. Trust the board. I'm like, you know it's not going to help us for a long time. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know that. And then they're tugging. What are we going to... Quarterback? Are you kidding me? We had the most durable quarterback in the history of the sport. Never got hurt. Never missed a, a snap. I said in our roster, cats always, like, we, we need to carry one quarterback. Not two. Not three. One. Brett will never get hurt. He, is, he just doesn't get hurt. So, here we go. They are going nuts. They are ignoring them. Coaches live by the day. They're fired every year. Aaron Rodgers was not going to help us that year. Probably not the next year. Probably not the next year. Probably never. Never. They're going nuts. Okay, we get on the clock. Ted Thompson, our general manager, says, Andrew, get him on the phone. And by him, I thought he meant Mike, my good friend, agent of Aaron Rodgers. Hello? Mike? No, this is Aaron. Aaron is Andrew Graham from the Green Packers. Can I talk to Mike? I felt so bad. He'd been sitting there five hours. The caterers were cleaning up around him all day. Only one there on the TV. I'm watching you talk to me on TV. And Mike is like, Andrew, are you taking him? Are you taking him? Are you taking him? I said, hold on. My instructions were keep him on the phone 12 minutes or 15 minutes. Keep him on the phone. Don't say anything. I'm like, just hold on. Because we wanted to see if that phone would ring. To give us an offer, we couldn't refuse. To trade Aaron Rodgers. We're like, we'll trade him. Sure. Give us something good. So for 12 minutes, I got the poor kid sitting there. Everyone in the room's looking at me on the phone. The coaches are, are steaming. And the phone does not ring. Crickets. Nothing. No one wants this guy. Says, says Andrew, tell me. Okay, we'll take him. <laughs> and I'm like, every time I watch the Packers, I'm like, oh my God, if that phone rang, 
Oh my God. The National Football League would look so much different if that phone rang. Give us two number twos, we would have done it. Sure. To take someone that wasn't going to help us. So then, as I started my presentation off, I spent the next three years managing these camps. On Brett's side, you saw that, I mean, Patriots traded Garoppolo, listen. You saw it. No one wants to go to work every day and see their replacement in their, in their office every day. Brett's side was all about, when are you getting rid of us? When are you giving him the keys? And Aaron's side was, please trade him. Please trade him. <laughs> that guy's never retiring. Please trade him. And I'm managing this every day for three years. And in Brett's camp, I just said, listen, you're our superstar. There's no question about that. Yeah, until when? You are. And on Aaron's side, I'm like, there will come a day. When? There will come a day. And you just have to sort of be professional. Be honest as you can. Now, I knew at some point we were turning the keys over to Aaron Rodgers, but didn't know exactly when to say something like that. And of course, Brett retired, but he, I knew that he wasn't really retired. He came back, we had a messy divorce, and that all happened. But I think that was the ultimate moment between the present and the future. Like, every organization, sports or not, goes through this, right? Do you stick with the present, or are you more future-focused? You have to balance that. We had an opportunity right there to transition, to keep it going. Look at what happened this year. You know, the New York Giants. Now, they had a once-in-a-generation running back in front of them. But that's the same thing. At some point, they're moving on to Eli Man from Eli Manning. They have no identifiable succession plan. We created a succession plan. We just didn't know how long it was going to last. It lasted three years, three long years. It was tough. And sometimes when you're dealing with players, you just don't know how it's going to turn out. You've got to look at all these issues. When you're managing a cap, it's not like individual contract negotiations with players, because when you're an agent, all you care about is your guys. When you're an agent, I liken it to a fantasy football owner, right? You don't care about team outcomes. You don't care. You care about your guys. An agent's like a fantasy player. But a team is all about the team. So I'd have players come and say, well, can you just do this for my contract? Do you love me? I love you. If I do it for you, there's a line at the door. And every agent knows what teams are doing. And every player knows. So you do something, you're going to hear about it. Really hear about it. Uh, so managing a team was much more challenging than being an agent because you're dealing with roster and you have to decide, you know, listen, I tell the coaches, hey, we have enough money at defensive line this year. We'll do that next year. You have to make decisions like that. All these things you look at when you, when you sign a player or not. You know, that picture down there, we had this guy on our team. He was the ultimate player, community leader, good-looking kid, Darren Sharper. I sent him out in the community for everything. Loved him. Loved him. Women marry articulate parents, both principals of Richmond schools. Ten years later, Darren Sharper's sentenced 
to life in prison for multiple drug rapes. You just never know sometimes. You know, sometimes you think you know about players and you just don't know. You have to figure out all these things about character, about what's going on. I think the thing that I always understand about players is that you're balancing competing interests. With all the domestic violence things that came out, there's a story that always lingers with me. I was sitting in a room like this talking to a coach, defensive line coach. Defensive line, don't get me started about those guys. Uh, but he had in his hand uh, a player sheet, and he really wanted us to sign this guy. Really wanted us to sign this guy. And I'm like looking at this player sheet, he's got a rap sheet block on, drunken disorderly, sexual assault, sexual misconduct. Everything. And I look at him and say, you know, there's no way in God's green earth we can bring that guy in here. We just can't. And he's, you know, coaches, got a little red-faced on me, and said, Andrew, what do you think we ask him to do here? What do you mean? What do you think we're asking him to do? We don't want him to come in here and teach seventh grade or handle the, the choir. I said, what are you saying? He said, we don't want him to do this get into 70 to 80 street fights a day and win them. And win them. And he throws the paper at me. That's violence. I said, we can't turn, you know, he can't turn it off. This guy can't turn it off from field to light. So the answer is no. Storms out. I won that battle, but I lost other ones. Because sometimes you just have to deal with, there's always a talent-character equation, and you're trying to fight that sometimes. But what you want to do is try to be principled and try to stay in with what you stand for. Uh, and again, the Packers is always, is, we're going to be principled, we're going to stand for things, we're going to be a draft and develop team, not a lot of free agents other than Woodson. Uh, we're going to try to run this thing the way we think it should be run. Really hope you enjoyed my speech and all my history and my experiences, just trying to give you a taste of what it's like behind the curtain, inside the walls of an NFL franchise. Bet Online has been our sponsor. You know the holidays are upon us. You got NFL, you got college football, we got NBA, we got college basketball. One place has you covered, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today, receive 50% sign up bonus. Promo code PODCAST1. We've got so much going in the NFL this week. Steelers, Chargers, we've got Cowboys, Saints, you got Alabama, Georgia, Golden State, Toronto in the NBA, and in college basketball, North Carolina, Michigan. Don't miss out on all the action. Visit betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag. Just had Dave Mason from there on my podcast. you got to hear that one about sports betting. Make sure you use promo code PODCAST1, 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it for this week's Business of Sports podcast. Really appreciate those of you who follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. Apple Podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.